Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to continue talking about the heart and the essence of the gospel. Okay, let's read from verse 1 to 3. Paul, a born servant of Jesus, separated, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Now read verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. So the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It's a good news that has come from heaven. So the source of the gospel is not human intelligence. It is not from any religion of the world. You cannot appoint a committee and tell them to come up with the best news that human mind can ever conceive. And they sit together in a committee and come up with a message like the gospel. Because the message in the gospel is too good to be true. In fact, the word gospel also means news that is too good to be true. That it is very difficult to believe. See, the source of the gospel is not any human seminary. It's not any human theology. The most positive human being cannot come up with a message like the gospel. It's a message from heaven. The source is divine. It's from the very heart of God himself. And that is why it takes revelation. The help of the Holy Spirit to understand the gospel to understand the gospel, it takes revelation. Come from the other side. Come from behind. It takes the revelation from the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, as I shared yesterday, the gospel is in the Old Testament contained, hidden, as a mystery. In the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and also in the book of Acts, the gospel is demonstrated. But in the epistles... Romans, Galatians, and so on, the gospel is explained. So to truly understand the gospel, we have to begin from the epistles and go back to the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then to the Old Testament to understand the one message that God is communicating to mankind, and that is the redemption of sinners through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. See, let me give you certain things about Jesus, how he's contained in the Old Testament. In Genesis, he's a promised seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is a high priest. In Numbers, he is a cloud by day and a pillar by night, pillar of fire. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In the book of Judges, he is a judge and lawgiver. In the book of Ruth, he is a kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is a trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings, he is the Lord our King. In First and Second Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is a faithful spouse. In Nehemiah, he is the builder of broken walls. In the book of Job, he is our redeemer. In the book of Psalms, he is the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs, Jesus is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our bridegroom. So, every book of the Old Testament, 
reveals Christ to us. So we must understand that the Bible has one message, one song. It's a song of redemption in Christ. Amen? All right, so the heart and essence of the gospel. The gospel is of God. That means it's from heaven. It's a message concerning Jesus Christ. And the gospel, once we are establishing it, should produce in our lives great light, great hope, great peace, multiplication of grace and peace and favor in our lives. Transformed life, character, boldness, spiritual warfare. You see, the secret to a successful, victorious Christian life is being established in the message of the gospel. So the gospel is not only for unbelievers, not only for mission lands. The gospel is a message that the church needs. In fact, it's one message to the world and to the church. It's one message. Good news in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? Alright, so now we're going to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 14 onwards. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So we see in Paul's letters, his life is defined by one purpose, to preach the gospel. In fact, he says that I am sent to be a proclaimer of Christ crucified, a preacher of the gospel. I laid down my life for the gospel. Paul says that he lives his life more to preach the gospel than even to preach the Bible. Please put off the machine at the back, Granny. So he says, I'm ready to preach not just the Bible, but I'm ready to preach the gospel, the good news. Amen? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 16 and 17 and underline it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You know, yesterday I said the Bible is not the gospel. The Bible is the word of God. But the entire Bible itself is not the gospel. It contains the gospel. Amen? So when we preach the Bible, it's important that we are able to bring the gospel out of it. Because only the gospel can bring salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power. It is the power. The. The definite article that Paul uses. The gospel is the power of God. The power of God unto salvation. That means when you believe in the gospel, it brings into your life what you can never get on your own, which is salvation. Can you say amen? Salvation. Now the Bible contains the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you a question. If you do the Ten Commandments, will you go to heaven? That's a trick question, alright? If you fulfill the Ten Commandments, will you go to heaven? Who says yes? Can I see your hands? Who says no? Can I see your hands? The rest of you? No, let me ask you a question. If you keep the Ten Commandments, can you get salvation? Think about it. Who says no? 
I heard some no's, but you're afraid now to raise your hand? Come on. There's no marks for this. There's no right or wrong. I just want you to think and be bold to express your opinions. How many of you say, if you keep the Ten Commandments, you can go to heaven? How many of you say no? That means the rest of you are saying no, alright? The truth, do you want to know? Yes. If you keep the Ten Commandments, you will go to heaven. But the problem is, no one can keep the Ten Commandments. You see, Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Did you know that? You mean Jesus is not the only way to heaven? Yes. He is not the only way. There are other ways to go to heaven. The problem is none of us can keep the other ways. What is one of those ways? One of those ways is to keep the commandments perfectly without a single failure even for one second. If you can do that, if you can be perfect in thought, in speech, in motivation, in actions, in desires, for your entire life, keeping every commandment of God outside and inside, you can get salvation. The question is, can anyone do that? No. And that is why Jesus is the only way. So, you can preach the Ten Commandments, but will you get salvation? No. Why? Because Jesus is the only way. It's the way of grace. Right? So the Bible contains the Ten Commandments. You can preach the Ten Commandments, but will it bring salvation to your life? No. The Bible contains the law. You can look at the law, try to keep the law, will you get saved? No. Amen? So the gospel is the power of God. So the entire Bible is not the gospel. The good news which concerns Jesus Christ, it is the power the law is not the power of God unto salvation. The Ten Commandments is not the power of God unto salvation. Nowadays, what we see in schools is that we put the Ten Commandments on the walls. Hoping and thinking that if the students see the Ten Commandments, their life will become holy. Right? Can the Ten Commandments produce holiness? What do you think? Can the Ten Commandments produce righteousness? No, it cannot. If it could, then Jesus did not have to die. But the Ten Commandments is in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible. But it is not the power of God unto salvation. I'm glad your brains are working today. Because I can see that you're thinking. Amen. The gospel, the good news is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So the only requirement is that you must believe. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Everyone say righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the revelation is progressive. The more you study the gospel, the more you are seeing in it the righteousness of God. So the gospel is not a revelation of how bad you are, how sinful you are, even though that is included in it. The gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. It is God-focused, not man-focused. Amen? And we will see in the gospel that God judged our sins on the cross righteously by Jesus taking 
the penalty of all our sins. So that today, God righteously saves us and blesses us and heals us. Amen? The word gospel is used 104 times in the New Testament. Write it down. 104 times in the New Testament. 17 times by Jesus. 79 times by Paul. And the rest by Peter. So gospel is really a revelation that we see Paul carried. He was anointed. He was called to proclaim the gospel, to explain the gospel, to write the gospel in the epistles. So to truly understand the gospel, we need to study the epistles of Paul. Now when I say the study the units, I'm not saying that Paul is greater than Jesus. Because people get all these weird ideas. Do you mean to say that Jesus is lesser than Paul? But Jesus, whatever he said, was written in red. So red is bigger than black. You know, the red parts of the Bible, they say is bigger than the black part. No. The red is not bigger than the black because the entire scriptures is the Bible. Amen. Jesus did not speak in red, by the way. The red color was added by the translators. Amen. Hallelujah. So Paul explains what Jesus did. What Jesus achieved. What Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And to be able to understand, we have to study and major in the epistles of Paul. Okay. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. That means you cannot find God in the universities of the world. You cannot find God in the books of the world. You cannot find God in Socrates and Plato and in the ancient books of Greek philosophy. You cannot find God there. Amen. Alright. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. Some translations say the foolishness of preaching. It pleased God. See, God's ways are different from man's ways. Man's ways are always to try to make it more complicated, to try to make it sound impressive, to make it sound very intellectual, to make it sound very wise in the universities, in the boardrooms of the world, in Harvard, in Oxford, and yet we think that's awesome, that's wonderful. But the Bible says it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. What message? The gospel. The simple message of the gospel. Jesus died for you. If you believe in him, you can go to heaven. You can be saved from your sins. Anywhere. It can be preached in the marketplace. It can be preached in a booth joint. It can be preached in an airplane. It can be preached by a little child. It can be preached by someone who may not be mentally stable. It can be preached by a beggar in clothes full of holes. See, the foolishness. It sounds foolish to the world. You go on the streets right now with a guitar and a mic and you say, Jesus loves you, Jesus can save you. 90% of the people will say, what a foolish man he is. 
But if there's just one hungry person there saying, I need Jesus, I am really... There on the street, he can get salvation. It's the foolishness of preaching. Sometimes even the foolishness of preachers. Their doctrine may not be completely correct, but if they just say, Jesus loves you, and you believe, even the foolishness of the preacher can get you salvation. Alright? I'm not saying be a foolish preacher, but I'm making the point that God's ways is that the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, because the Jewish culture and religion, you see in the Old Testament, there's always signs, prophetic signs. From the beginning, from Moses onwards, there were always signs. So the signs confirmed that God was there, God's message is there. Greeks, or we can say even Gentiles, seek after wisdom, the wisdom of the world. But we, Paul is saying we, the apostles, the disciples of Christ, we preach Christ crucified, a man dying on the cross, to the Jews, a stumbling block because they cannot accept Jesus as the Messiah. The word stumbling block there means scandal, scandal, scandalon. How can this man, who was the son of Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, the, that couple who, who had a baby without marriage? See, that was the gossip in the community. Because Mary got pregnant, before marriage. How can this son be our Messiah? Cannot. Cannot accept. But they were preaching Jesus Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness. Because a man dying on a cross is not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. He's a criminal. How can he bring salvation? But to those who are called, that is us. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, in the message of the gospel, you will see the power of God and the wisdom of God contained. Amen? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, the main point is this. The gospel is always centered around the preaching of the cross. Write it down. Without the cross, there is no gospel. The message of the gospel is always centered around the cross. If you watch CNN or Republic TV or NDTV, do you see news of the future or news of the past? Past, right? Because news will always come from what has happened. They cannot give us news that, well, in the year 2024, uh, Narendra Modi has lost the elections. They cannot give us news of what has not happened, right? News is always connected to something that happened in the past. So what happened in the past for Paul to proclaim the gospel? What happened? Jesus died on the cross. And the moment Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, then now the gospel can be proclaimed. Because before that, the gospel could not be proclaimed in full revelation, might and power because they were still in the Old Testament times. But the moment Jesus died and was resurrected, he said, go now and preach in all the world. There is forgiveness of sins in my name. The good news. Based on something, a specific event that happened in history, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
through the cross. So if there is no cross in the preaching, there is no gospel. Ah, now you are understanding. Because sometimes people preach the Ten Commandments without the cross. Hey, we are Christians. Thou shalt not do this. No smoking, no chewing pan, no biri, no pan biri cigarette. The trinity of evil in some churches. So we focus on those things without putting the gospel in it, without putting the cross in it. See, the cross is the heart of the gospel. Write it down. Without the cross, there is no gospel. Now the cross, the actual event in history happened when Jesus died on the cross. But even before the foundations of the world, the Bible says Jesus was the Lamb of God slain. That means the plan of redemption was always there. In Genesis chapter 1, the lambs were slain to cover Adam and Eve as a prophetic picture of what the Lamb of God will do in the future. So the sacrifice was always there. From Genesis we see Noah sacrificed. Abraham sacrificed. Jacob sacrificed. God told Moses to sacrifice the Passover lamb. All of these were types of Jesus. So even though the cross happened about 2,000 years back, the concept of the sacrifice and redemption was always there even before the beginning of creation. Amen? Look at John chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world. The defining characteristic of God is love. God is love. The Bible says God is love. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is judgment. It doesn't say God is anger. But the Bible says God is love. The very essence and nature of God is love. If you can see God from the external and go all the way into the very heart of God, from the beginning to the end, He is love. Everything about him is love. Heaven is all about love. The angels are all about love. Everything in heaven screams to us, God loves you, God loves you, because he created it. God is love. But love cannot be love unless it is expressed. Love cannot be love unless it is given away in relationship. And so, for God so loved the world, for love to be love, there must be an object of that love. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. So love is expressed in the grace of Jesus Christ. The defining characteristic of Jesus Christ is grace. The Bible keeps on saying this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he did for us what we can never do for our own. He died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins so that we are saved. Amen? Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That word condemn means to reject, to pass sentence, to condemn, to punish. But that the world through him might be saved. So God did not send Jesus to condemn. You must understand this. 
Why is it that many times the prophecies we hear many times from certain people is all about condemnation? Condemnation. Sometimes the preaching we hear is all about how God is angry with India, how God is angry with China, how God is angry with America, and judgment is coming. A pastor friend of mine was telling me about last month, four or five weeks back, he was on the pulpit in church, and the prayer warriors from the church, that same church, stood up on the pulpit and said to the pastors that if you do not serve God well, perfectly, God will curse you. In front of the congregation, the pastors are sitting here and the prayer warrior comes and says, if you do not serve God well, God will curse you. And the pastor, thank God he was taught well. He says, I did not accept it. I did not because I knew it was not from God. But so many people are saying those things. Now, Think about it. The Holy Spirit cannot say something opposite than Jesus, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, but they're all equal. They have the same message, right? The Holy Spirit cannot act opposite of Jesus' heart. He's the Spirit of Christ. So if Jesus did not come to condemn, after Jesus left, now the Father sent the Holy Spirit to condemn the church, right? Every prophecy is about condemnation, curses. So do you think those prophecies are right? No. Why? The Bible says Jesus did not come to condemn. So if you're using prophecy to always condemn and judge, it's the wrong spirit. In every prophecy, there must be redemption. There must be a redeeming factor to it. Are you following? Amen. Hallelujah. So the heart of the gospel is the cross. Alright? Now I'm going to give you points about the cross. Number one, the cross reveals the goodness of God. The cross reveals the goodness of God. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which, you, which will be to all people. Underline, good tidings of great joy. Underline that. Good news should produce great joy. In fact, whenever you go to church on Sunday, you should leave the church smiling from ear to ear. Why? Because you are going there to hear the preaching of the good news. And good news should produce great joy. You should not leave church feeling more burdened, more depressed. Hallelujah. In fact, one of the testimonies that people gave about our church, why they were attracted to our church, is that they would see the people from our church every Sunday, always smiling, always rejoicing. And they were wondering why people of this church are so happy all the time. And that was one of the reasons why people were attracted to our church. Good tidings of great joy which will people. Okay, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, verse 14, let's read together. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. So, the moment Jesus was born, 
the angels were proclaiming what? Now, the angels came and sang their own song. They composed their own song. Or was this a message from God? It's a message from God because angels are messengers. The word angel means angelos. It comes from a word that means messenger. They came with a message from God. So when Jesus was born, the message was from God was this. On earth, God is proclaiming on earth, peace, not war. Many Christians think God is at war with them because of this. Since I've done this, I've done that. I go to hospitals to pray for people who are sick with cancer, sick with some disease. And they say, ah, you know, all the things I've done wrong has finally come upon me. They say those things. They say things that God is judging me for all the wrongs I have done. So people are always thinking God is mad at them. God is unhappy with them. And God is just waiting for an opportunity to get back at you. They're always thinking that God and me are at war. So even if they pray, they don't feel close to God. So they say, Pastor, you pray for me now. You must be close to God. Because you're always praying. You're always in the prayer house fasting. So you pray for me. I cannot pray because I feel like God and me are like... How many of you feel like that at times? See, the moment Jesus was born, God from heaven said, no more war. Peace is a declaration of peace. Not only peace, goodwill. Goodwill means I want to do good for you. My will for you is good. My desire for you is good for all men. We think that God wants to do evil to us, right? That's why when earthquakes come, people say, God, what happened? Insurance company says earthquakes are acts of God. How many of you, when you hear bad news about someone in your family got sick, you say, God, why, why, why? Right? God did not do it. But we're blaming him. See, there's a very interesting story of a Japanese soldier who, after the Second World War, stuck in the jungles of the Philippines. He did not know the war was over because he was stuck up in the jungles. So even though the war was over, he was still fighting. For over 30 years, he kept on fighting. And when the people, the soldiers, the Philippines, they came and told him the war is over, he did not believe. Only until his commanding officer from Japan came and met him and told him, the war is over, you can surrender now. He surrendered. After the war was over, he kept on fighting. Because in his mind, the whole world was still an enemy of the Japanese empire. See, many Christians are like the Japanese soldier. You think God is at war with you. So you're still trying to hide, trying to, you know, come up with all your works, dealing with your fear and anxiety, whereas God has already declared peace. Turn to your neighbor and say, the war is over. Amen. God's your friend. He's not your enemy. Hallelujah. So God wants to give good news, good tidings of great joy, goodwill toward men. Not evil, goodwill. Hallelujah. So God is always willing to share his goodness to you because of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Look at Romans 2 verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness? Everyone underline the word goodness. Forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Underline that. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. What is repentance? Repentance means to change your mind. Repentance means to turn around. 
Repentance means you were walking in a certain direction, but now God wants you to turn completely and come back to the Father. The word repentance doesn't only mean change your mind, it means come back to the Father, come back to the love, come back to the relationship that was lost. How? Through the goodness of God. Sometimes we think by putting fear on people, putting guilt on people, they will change. In the tribal culture, we think that if we shame our children, they will be motivated to become better. So we always compare our children to other children. Look, look, look at, look, look at your cousin. She's doing so much better than you. Sorombinai. Right? That's the way. Sorombinai means don't you have any shame? Parents are telling the children to become better by putting shame on them. Tribal culture. In fact, even Asian culture is like that. See, your cousin, your sister, Doing so much better than you. What happened to you? Indian culture also same. So we think by shaming them, by beating them, by telling them, you are a fool. I know certain parents who say to the kids, you are a fool. Thinking that by telling them, they'll be motivated. Oh, I will not be fool anymore. Oh, I'll try harder. <laughs> we think that they will do that. But instead of having that effect, they get depressed. They lose their identity. They get rejected, hurt by the words of the parents and others. See, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. The way of the world is shame them so that they will improve. But the way of God is give grace. The goodness of God. We see that in the story of the woman caught in adultery. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. This is a picture in the Gospels of the goodness of God revealed. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And of course, the law of Moses says, if anyone is caught, they must be stoned to death. Capital punishment. John 8, verse 1 to 11. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So they were simply trying to trap Jesus. If he is a true teacher of Israel, then he must uphold the law of God. He cannot go against what Moses said. But if he stoned the woman, then the people will go against her because she's not, he's not showing any compassion. And all the time he's been talking about love and the compassion of God. Manifesting it in healing, delivering, providing miracles to the people. So they're trying to trap him. This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. The law of Moses says, a woman caught in adultery or a man should be stoned to death. So Moses is revered among the Jews because the lawgiver was Moses. As a true Jew, he cannot 
break the law. He cannot ask the people to do something against the law. And Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. So he also must keep the law. So he kept the law. He gave him the instruction. All right, the law says that. Go ahead. But he who is without sin. Is that righteous? Yes. He who is without sin, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and rode on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, because they realized all of them had sin. Here also we see, see the only one who has the right to judge is the one without sin. Right? That means none of us have a right to judge anyone. The only one who has a right to judge was Jesus. He is without sin. He's God who is without sin. And Jesus, yes, will judge the world at the end of the days when he sits on his throne of judgment. But here we see that the only one who had the right to judge did not judge in this account because he's in his first coming. And on earth, peace and goodwill to all men. He has not come to condemn. He has not come to judge. He has not come to reject. He has come to save. The Son of Man did not come to condemn, but to save. Amen? Then those who heard it, being convicted by the conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. Maybe older people have more sins. They're more aware of all their failings. Even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Saying, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of life. What does light have to do with forgiveness? Because at this moment, he forgives this woman. What does light have to do? Because many times we think light is just light, right? Switch on, electric light in the darkness of the room. Do you know that condemnation and guilt is darkness in your heart? It's darkness in your mind? How many of you have experienced guilt? Heavy guilt. Heavy, heavy guilt. That even your head is bowed down. You cannot lift up your head because of the shame. So when you go through guilt, your heart is filled with darkness. You cannot imagine God doing anything good to you. You cannot expect good things in your life. Yes or no? You only expect evil. Your heart becomes dark. Even when people come and tell you, Hey, it's alright, God loves you. Your heart still cannot accept me. Accept it because you're condemning yourself. Yes or not? This woman was caught in adultery. Her head was hanging in shame. Probably she was naked. In public, Jesus forgives her. And there says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, the light of life is forgiveness. When you know that you are forgiven of your sins, your life is flooded with light. Light. So when you believe in Jesus, God doesn't want you to walk in the darkness of guilt and shame and condemnation. Somebody who is walking in guilt and shame, they walk stumbling in life. They end up making the wrong decisions, end up making the wrong choices. Have you experienced that? 
Yes. Guilt will drive you to start drinking more and more. Guilt will drive you to go and have more and more drugs. Guilt will drive people to cut themselves. Nowadays, little kids keep on cutting themselves. You know why? Because they never experience approval from their fathers. They, they think their father is not happy with them. Their father is not pleased with them. Their heart is always at pain. And to deal with the pain, they cut themselves. Guilt causes people into psychotic disorders. There are so many people right now in mental hospitals who think they have committed the unpardonable sin. About two years back, I used to be disturbed almost every day by this boy from Chumukedima. I've never met him, who always texts me and says, Pastor, I've committed the unpardonable sin. Please help me. I cannot sleep at night. And I kept on telling him, listen, God has forgiven you. Watch this video. Read this article. He will read. He will watch. But he will not believe. And he keep on saying, Pastor, if you pray for me, I'll be delivered. I said, you have to believe. The light comes from Jesus, not from me. But he was in darkness and depression. There was no light in his life. The light of life. See, the light of life. True life. Salvation life, redemption life. That light comes from Jesus. Do you know that the world right now is walking in darkness? And the hearts of the people are filled with consciousness of sins. Guilt of sins. There are people that are having pilgrimages on the mountains of Kedanat, Badrinat. Thinking that by walking up those steps, they're going to pay for the sins and the grandfather's sins. And they think that if they carry their father and mother on their backs to that pilgrimage place, they are being absolved of their sins. What is that? That is called darkness. They're not in truth. And even after they do all the pilgrimages, their heart is never at peace because they're not sure. Who knows? I don't know. So Jesus says, after he's resurrected in the gospel of Luke, Go and preach to the whole world that forgiveness of sins is now available. Forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest message that mankind can ever hear. In fact, you should run to the bush shop. People are drinking. People are fighting in the bar. You should go there and stand and say, Hey, I have good news. And they may be thinking, What good news? The price of beer has gone to half? No. Tell them, the good news is you are forgiven of all your sins. The greatest news the world is waiting for is this. They need to hear. They are forgiven already. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to climb up Badrinath, Kedanath. No. They don't have to go to Jerusalem also. Many Christians think, go to Israel is pilgrimage. And if I pray in the wall at Jerusalem, I will really be forgiven. Some prayer warriors in Nagaland, they think like that. There is no Jordan River that can wash you of your sins, There is no temple in in Israel that can wash you of your sins. No. Israel has no power to save you. The temple of Solomon has no power to save you. It's the blood. Forgiveness. In the cross. That's the greatest news. Amen. So when you see the goodness of God. That even before you accepted Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus paid the price. So that you, by believing, is accepting what's already provided for you. The goodness of God is that Jesus died even before you acknowledge God as Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did she experience? She experienced 
the goodness of God. Not the condemnation of God. Not the judgment of God. But the goodness of God. If she was in Nagaland, they would have cut her hair also. Posted it on Nagaland post or Facebook. The goodness of God leads to repentance. So the cross is a revelation of the goodness of God. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Look at some more pictures of God's grace. Mark chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him. And he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. How many of you know Levi's jeans? You know Levi's jeans was made by Jewish people? Facebook is made by Jewish people. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. Verse 14. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? How is it that he sits down with the worst of people? Sorum benai. You know, no shame over Jesus always sitting with the worst people. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus was the most how would I say it? Controversial teacher in Israel. He came preaching about holiness, about sin, about repentance. He came preaching about the holy and pure God, but he was always hanging out with the worst people. Tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And it seemed like these people were attracted to him. And he was always going opposite of what the religious order in that day was saying, because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they would always dress in the holy clothes, wash their hands in public, act very holy, holy, not hang around, not fellowship with the dirty people, sinners. But Jesus was close to them. They were close to Jesus. There was something about his looks, his speech, his actions that made the sinners comfortable with him. Ah, did you know that? God is comfortable with sinners. Are you? God is at home with sinners. Are we? And even the sinners, they found something in this man that attracted them despite all the sins. It was love. It was acceptance. There was no condemnation at all. They, listen, this is what I like to think. When Jesus was sitting with Matthew, when Jesus was sitting with Zacchaeus, when Jesus was sitting with all these bad people, there was not even a hint of disappointment in Jesus' eyes. Not only his words, in his eyes. Have you ever talked with someone who says, it's okay, but their eyes are daggers? Huh? Come on, have you experienced that? I think girls will know better than me. Right? You say it's okay, but the eyes betray, right? Outside he says, okay, but the eyes are full of anger, daggers. Yes or no? Right? Because we find it very difficult to hide our emotions. But I, I believe when you sit with Jesus, even though you have messed up, from his eyes, there was never any hint of disappointment, condemnation. This person is not good enough. That kind of look, it was never there. And that's why they were attracted to him. 
the goodness of God leads to repentance. It was the goodness that they saw in Jesus that led them to Him, that drew them to God. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.